Hey everyone, this is X O'Connor. Just wanted to take a second to update you on our podcast review contest that we have happening this month. We are well on our way to our 100 review goal. We currently have 68 reviews. We just wanted to give a huge thank you to all of you who have already left us a review. As we promised when we started this contest, we wanted to take a second and share some of the recent reviews we've gotten. We have Sarsaparilla Man saying, I am amazed that so many industry professionals are willing to come forth and spill the beans on the secrets to success in the music business. For so long, it seems as though the curtain would forever remain closed, but believe it or not, they always manage to draw it back a bit, sometimes wide open on the Full Circle podcast. Thanks, guys, for all you do. We have Brandon at RE20s saying, As a worship leader and aspiring recording artist, this show is gold. The advice is actionable, the quality is superb, and the guests are exactly the kinds of people I want to hear from. And we have Leo Bautista saying, Full Circle Music has opened my eyes to so much great wisdom and new ways of thinking in regards to songwriting and directing my career in music. Always entertaining and insightful, definitely one of my go-to podcasts to listen to. Again, thank you guys so much for everyone who has already left us a review. Our podcast reaches thousands of listeners every week, so even though we are chipping away at our goal of getting to 100 reviews, there's still tons of people listening that haven't left a review yet. It only takes a moment to leave a review in iTunes. We would love to hear any feedback that our listeners have for us, so please let us know your thoughts and help us make the show even better. If we can hit that 100 review goal before the end of the month of May, we'll be releasing those six brand new songwriting techniques and tips videos, as well as the six brand new production techniques and tips videos that Seth and I made for free to everyone. So help us reach new listeners and help us make the show even better for all of you just by taking a few moments and leaving us a review. We're almost there. We're almost to the goal. We can make it. Now let's get into this week's adventure. Hi, this is Seth Mosley. And this is X O'Connor. And you're listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. This week we had in studio with us Drew Langles, who's a student at Treveca University, and uh, she had some questions for us, and we were lucky enough to have her in studio, sit down with her and answer anything she had. Yeah, we got to talk about why worship music is really becoming the new CCM. Yeah, We've had the chance to work for a long time, both of us, yep. in the CCM industry and have seen a lot of changes. And one of those is the acceptance of worship music, and not only the acceptance, but it's really what most people are listening to. Yeah, nowadays. I was going to say, it's growing in popularity very rapidly. And, and now a lot more of what you hear on the radio is actually worship music as opposed to just traditional CCM music. Yeah, so we talk about that. And, and along those lines, we talked about some key points on writing worship music. Absolutely, like just finding the soul of the song and, and having it speak out. Yeah, so if you're a songwriter out there or a worship leader, this is going to be a good episode to check out because we talk a little bit about some of the key best practices for writing worship songs. Absolutely. We also got into writing for different genres as well. Yeah, we got into how how there is a little bit of a different mindset when you approach some of it, but a lot of times it's just about what you're feeling or the season that you're in and just speaking from where you're at in life. And one of my favorite parts of this episode was a question that we get all the time, and I was glad that that she asked it because yeah. it's it's probably the most common question when you're breaking in. And it's how do you get your first job in the music business? Yeah. And we were, we were lucky to have her ask that just to sh- kind of share our experiences in how we both got our starts and, and just advice for people in general who are looking to get into it and just the ways to find the right avenue in for them. That's right. So for those of you guys who are not already following us on Instagram, yep. please, please do so. Yeah, please do so. 
It's Instagram at Full Circle Music Co. Yep, that is correct. And what kind of things are they going to be finding on such Instagram? And on this Instagram, you're going to find everything we're doing every day. Artists we're working with, we are always snapping photos. We're actually about to move studios as well. And we're going to be documenting the entire process of shifting from one location to the next, all the gear, all the wiring, everything. And then, of course, starting in with new artists and getting to work right then and there. So Instagram, I've become obsessed with it in the past few years. And our followers have grown by probably 300% since we really dove in and started doing it. So it's a really great way to stay connected with us. And we do our best to even reply. We get a lot of direct messages on there. It's kind of becoming the new Snapchat, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. So send us a message on there. We, Like I said, we always do our best to reply. And again, that's Instagram at Full Circle Music Co. Yeah, that's right. Follow us there. Lots of stuff happening, so keep up with us. But other than that, let's just jump right in with Drew Langles. Seth Mosley. Exo Connor. And we're on the Full Circle Music Show. We've got our next episode of Ask Me Anything. Yeah. I always get really excited for these because we get messages a lot of the time from aspiring songwriters, students, producers, and asking us to interview us for a project. And every time that happens, I'm like, sure, just come over and you'll be on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for being willing to do that today. Yeah. And like I said, thank you for letting me be on this. This is awesome. Yeah, it's great. So you are a freshman at Treveca. Mm -hmm. Okay. And songwriting major. Yes. Very, very cool. Well, before we eat up the entire time, because I know you've got a lot of questions, we can just jump straight in. So so first off, the project is a research project and an annotated bibliography for a world music and culture class, which means it's technically a gen ed, but it has to do with music. So every project has to do with music. And being my degree of songwriting, I decided to do my topic on why worship music is gaining popularity once again in the realm of CCM and more of a focus on radio mm. and why that's growing popular again for like what we sing in church versus what's played on at a concert. Yeah. So the first question, why do you think the popularity and the demand for worship music in the Christian music industry is growing again and becoming more popular than other styles? Well, I just had this conversation with somebody last week, so I'm glad you asked that question because what happens is people who listen to Christian music typically go to church somewhere on Sundays and they sing these songs on Sundays and have this corporate worship experience, which is amazing. So what happens is when they go out and it's Wednesday or Thursday, that song's still going through their head. So a lot of radio promoters have, you know, historically said, no, we don't play worship music. Now they're kind of smartening up to the fact that this is what people want to hear. People are following charts like CCLI and Planning Center, which kind of show what songs churches are singing. Radio can be, they kind of work together. So where I'm getting at is a lot of the time a church like a a Bethel or an Elevation or a Hillsong will go and release a song. They'll push it to church, but they'll push it to radio at the same time. Because nowadays what happens is worship leaders are discovering new songs. It's still on radio. That's a big discovery tool for people. So it kind of just perpetuates itself. And I think we went through a phase for a while, you know, Sonic Flood was probably the first, probably 10, 15 years ago that put mainstream worship on the map in a commercial way. But it's definitely coming back around again. 
I mean, if you ask any of the guys who work at Apple Music or Spotify, they'll tell you that 70% of what people are streaming who listen to Christian music on Spotify or Apple Music, it's worship music, 70%. So it's only becoming more and more important. And I just think there's something about it. Anytime I have a conversation with friends of mine who are kind of outside of our world and don't, don't maybe go to church and get the whole thing, they don't really love typical, you know, radio CCM music, but they love worship music. It's kind of a always been a strange conundrum to me because it's really kind of the purest form of Christian music, you know, in some ways. But there's just this emotive thing to it that people gravitate towards. I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Yeah, I think what you just said at the end, I think it is the clearest maybe method of connecting with someone and reaching someone. And I think, too, when I first got into Christian music, I think worship music struggled from there being just this huge gulf in quality. Like, you would you would hear recorded worship music, and it just didn't meet the standards of a lot of the other music that you heard. But now you do have people like Bethel and like Hillsong, who not only do they have immensely talented individuals in their worship teams and creating this music, but they also have extremely high standards when it comes to the actual recording and presenting of the music. And I think that really helps people bridge that gap between what's commercially acceptable on the radio and worship music. They've kind of just blurred all the lines and they're like, hey, here's just something great that's going to connect with with everybody, regardless of whether it's supposed to be on the radio or not. Yeah, that's, I'm glad he added to that because that is so true. The church records that we do nowadays, their musicianship, their quality, and their the talent bar is up there with anything else we would work on now. And in some cases, they're some of the best musicians we get to work with yeah, now. They, they are in a church environment. So I think that has a lot to do with it, just that, people have gotten really serious about, hey, we're not just pressing record, doing a live record and putting it out and that's worship music. We're, we're actually going to work really hard on our parts and bring something of excellence. Awesome. Thank you. The next question is, as a songwriter, how does the different demands of different styles play into writing songs for the industry and then also writing for a church? Because I know you write with Mia Fields all the time. You've written with Henry and Alex and have you written with Charles before? I have. Yeah. Yeah. So like, that like I see, especially like Charles and yeah. Andrew, they write more for the church than they do for the industry. So like I know that you write a little bit of both. So how does what's the differences and? So when you're starting out, I always tell people it's really really good to pick a lane and stick to it. So if writing songs for the church is what you're passionate about, just do that. Now what I will say is on the other side of the coin. It is really hard to make a career out of just being a songwriter. A lot of songwriters have to do other things like produce records. There's a lot of producer writers out there or they maybe teach on the side or they, or they're artists or they do something else. Um, so it can be helpful to be well-rounded enough where you don't only do one thing. So I, I know I'm kind of saying two opposite things, but you really have to be able to narrow your focus but be able to have a, a vocabulary to work in multiple environments. So for me, that's always just been a bit of a natural thing. I don't know that I've ever made a decision to say, this is the type of songwriter I want to be. It's just what songs are flowing out at, in any given season, because it is seasonal. I mean, right now I'm writing a lot more 
um, worship songs because that's what we li- we're listening to in our house. Uh, my wife loves worship music. My two-year-old daughter loves worship music. So it's only natural if that's what you listen to, that's going to kind of flow out of you. So that's what I'm writing a lot of now. And I'm, I'm doing a, a, a lot of country actually now too. So stuff that's kind of outside of the realm of standard Christian radio. And that's been really fun because I think as genres are kind of, you know, disappearing largely, you, you pull out your iPhone, hold up Spotify. It's, it's every mishmash of styles that you can possibly, you know, think of. It's really just playlist based. So I think that's kind of the fun of what we get to do for me as a songwriter, X as a producer in our company is we get to work on so many different yeah. styles of music. It yeah. keeps, keeps it from getting boring, you know? And the lines really are blurred. I mean, a great song's a great song. A positive message is a positive message. And I think when it, you know, if Seth's written it or if it comes just across, you know, our way via, you know, someone else's stuff that they just want us to help them, you know, achieve the vision on, I don't think we ever really look at like, hey, this needs to conform into any one specific thing. I think we kind of just approach it as this is the biggest servant to this message or what they have to say, and let's just embrace it and let's just help lift it up. Mm. Sweet. And the next question is, why do you think worship is being demanded more than like a pop styled CCM on radio? I think it's it always is just it's pretty simple. It's just what do people want to hear? Like what do what is the market quote unquote want to listen to? And and you look at I mean nowadays the great thing about I keep going back to Spotify, Apple Music and streaming and the analytics in those things are so powerful because you can tell exactly what are people listening to and what are they skipping over. What they're listening to nowadays is worship. So you can really just tell. The music business is definitely more of a an art than a science. So a lot of it is just doing a lot of different things, putting it out there, seeing what sticks, and then whatever sticks, pour you know fuel on the fire there. And right now, there seems to be some kind of purity in worship music that people are gravitating towards, where it's it's very vertical, and like he said, it's uplifting, and it gets the attention off of us, which I think sometimes that's really what we need because if you're having a bad day or a bad week or rough semester in college, I mean, you you really want a song that's going to lift you out of that and not sort of keep you there. If that make, Does that make any sense? Yeah. One of the articles I was researching talked about how like worship music is also known as vertical music because it's a direct yeah. connection to God and how it's just putting prayers to music. Yeah, that's so well said. And I find for myself when I'm in a season of um, just having a, a crappy day, those are the songs that are running through my head. It's not like uh, I'm not having like a party song in my head <laughs> when, <Yeah>. I'm <laughs> when I'm feeling like that. So it really is. It's as worship songwriters, we're writing prayers for people to sing. And I, I love that. Sweet. Yeah. The next one are what are differences between worship music and other styles such as like rap country like a folkish kind of thing and what are some better what are some similarities yeah x maybe you can speak to the i mean definitely the the production style and the approach is is completely yeah. different yeah i think yeah it can be completely different and in some in some manners it can kind of be completely the same i, I think just in the time that we've been working together you know past you know six seven years you, you we've kind of seen 
just different trends in music all across the board. And there was definitely a time where a very folk-sounding, you know, ambience was what was what people were wanting regardless of whether it was worship or just straight-up CCM for the radio. I mean, as Seth said before, the, I think the biggest difference is it's in the lyric and just the feeling that the lyric evokes. It's definitely probably the purest form, and that's probably what people have the most connection with. I do think from a, a production perspective, the song itself, I think it's what dictates the direction we actually take with it. So I don't think it could be folky or it could be more country sounding or something like that, because there's a lot of bluegrass and you know soul music that is very spiritual and very very deep in in meaning and in search of connection. So I do think, though, that what separates worship music from specifically like hip-hop or just mainstream pop radio is definitely the message and the overall feeling it's looking to invoke. Yeah, and and I'll say from a song standpoint, if you're wanting to write worship music, one of the big hallmarks of it is that it has to be easy to sing with because it's designed to be sung. It's not only music that's designed to be listened to. It's going to be sung in a corporate setting, hopefully by tens of thousands of people. So simple melodies. What's really the art in it is finding something that's simple but fresh at the same time. Because you can go so simple where it's just boring and doesn't have any heart to it, but then you can go so artistic and creative that you lose people in the corporate setting. So it really is finding the sweet spot where... People, I think Oceans is such a, a great example of that. I, mm-hmm. When I first heard that song by Hillsong, the melody is so different and it's so in, in, entrancing, and it's, it's just kind of like an ocean. It's like an ocean, yeah. yeah. And and that that term that we talk about a lot in songwriting, the prosody, where the melody feels like what your song is saying, and mm-hmm. they nailed it with that. But it's simple enough to where it feels like kind of nursery rhymey. So for me, my test is my two and a half year old. <laughs> if she can latch onto it and sing it back after hearing it once or twice, then that's a pretty good test. Yeah. Nice. So the next one is a lot of mega churches have ad- adapted a style of like mimicked concert worship for their services. And how do you think that affects the worship itself and then the authenticity of it? I think as, as a worship pastor, really your goal is to try to serve your congregation and try to serve the people that are coming in. And, some churches, I mean, Nashville, especially, you know, being the kind of the epicenter of a lot of it has so much, uh, so many options. Like you can, you can pretty much go to any church and the production will be great. The, they'll probably have a a good light system and a sound system and have, you know, the lyrics on the screen along with videos and everything. But then you go to other churches and there's a lot of people that don't want that. They just want, guy with a guitar singing very simple hymns that everybody knows. And I think it all comes down to the people. I mean, if the people are coming to be, to have an experience, I mean, I I go to a church called the belonging and production is actually a big focus, but it's not for the sake of production. It's really for the sake of creating an atmosphere where people feel safe to let loose and just worship freely, you know? So, I mean, we talked about, you know, production styles. I mean, Hillsong Young and Free is a great example of an artist that's taken a lot of the sounds from 2017 and injected it into this this worship format where you can still sing along to it. And they're just, it, it's amazing. So I don't think it's a good or a bad thing. I think it's really just, 
I mean, what's the intention? Number one, the heart behind it has got to be right. I mean, if the heart is for production and entertainment value over an experience, then you're probably starting off in the wrong place. And I think people can kind of sense that. I mean, you kind of know when you, you walk into a church and it feels real or it just doesn't feel real. And it's not, it's not to say that you have to be judgmental of anything, but I do think it really does come down to the heart of it. And that's why me and my wife love Good of the Belonging because it's very, the production and the music is very important. It's very mm-hmm. important that the musicians are top notch, that the sound is great. And to me, for somebody like me, that just makes me not distracted. Yeah. Because if I'm in a church and somebody's singing off key and the mix is bad and the drums are way off time, I'm just going to be distracted the whole time. And and that's, you know, I know not everybody thinks like that, but just for myself, I think that is an important thing. And for my wife too. So yeah. I think it really just comes back down to where, where's the, where's the intention? What's the motivation? Is it for entertainment or is it for an experience? I think Seth nailed it. I grew up, you know, in more of a, an actual Catholic background. So I was used to horrible singing with no music, you know, everyone just in whatever key they or wanted to sing organ, in. Yeah, if, one if note. you were lucky if there was an organ, <laughs> we'll just say that. I, I think I had organ in about 0.7% of the masses that I ever went to. And then when I moved to Nashville, Nashville was really my my first experience into Christian music and into just more of a a traditional so to speak Christian service as opposed to a, you know, a very devout Catholic service. And one of the one of the first bands I ever worked with was this band from Dallas, and they were a worship band that their church was at the United Center where the Mavericks play in Dallas. And that just blew my mind. And the first time we ever went to Dallas to see these guys, you go into this 8 a.m. service, and there's 18,000 people sitting in this place, and it's full-on lights, and it's I mean, it's huge production with, you know, jumbotrons and screens everywhere. And I mean, it's like incredible. And when it, when you walk in and nothing's happening, it's kind of like, it does feel a little weird. You're like, what am I walking into? I thought I was going to a, you know, a church service. I thought I was about to hear a message. And you walk in and you're literally in an arena. And it's like, okay, this feels a little strange. But the second they started playing and the second everything started, you know, the lights come down and it, it is like a show. But... It was this whole experience that was like, it, it wasn't about the people on stage. It wasn't me, 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 anything. It was a very uplifting, positive message. So I think coming back around to what Seth said, it's very much about the individual and what they're what they're looking for, what they're searching for. But in the heart of all of it, it's it is just having having a truth and having a purity to what you're wanting to bring to the people. If you're if you're on the pastoral end of things, or if you're in the worship band end of things. So yeah, absolutely. I think there are. You know, there are places out there that just kind of aren't on the level of some of these other places, but if it reaches the people that are attending them, that that's that's awesome. Yeah, and that and that's a big thing that I, w- I would want to add is I don't think every church has to feel like they need to aspire to that level of production perfection. I'd rather have almost nothing. I'd rather almost it just be like a, a dude and a guitar or a dude in his voice. So I'd rather have that than kind of trying to be that, but being like a halfway version of it. And, and, you know, and maybe that's not who you're meant to be. And it's like, you're trying too hard to do something. That's just not, it's just not going to happen. You don't have for a lack of better term. I mean, I just don't think that's where God has some people. 
So I, I definitely would say that's not the goal of, of a church. And, and it might be the goal of certain churches, but I, I don't want to put any pressure on a worship leader or a worship team that they have to be Hillsong United. They, they don't. They're, they're really just called to create an experience and a, and a worshipful atmosphere each week for the people showing up. We actually, we talked to a guy last week, uh, his name's Brandon Bagby, and he actually has a website called uh, Worship, Worship Team, Team Builder. Builder. Yeah, worshipteambuilder.com. And, you know, he goes around and he actually helps worship teams get better at what they're doing. But a big thing that I think he talked to us about was that beyond being in the worship team or, or leading worship, it's that some of these people know how to sing and know how to deliver the message, but they don't know how to lead people into a more fulfilling just everyday life, you know, in which on the back end of things is ultimately what worship leaders and team leaders are doing. They're trying to not only lift your spirits for for that day, but they're trying to shepherd you out into the week with just an uplift message and a feeling of, you know, like hope and I can't wait to come back and that, you know, they're just trying to help lead you down a positive path in life. And I think coming back to kind of what Seth had said is that, you know, there are some people that just try almost maybe too hard to like force it into that situation. And I think so coming back around full circle to just say, you know, just being genuine and leading from the heart, I think is, is ultimately what people relate to and gravitate towards. You see what he did there? He said coming back full circle. I, I worked that in anywhere <laughs> I can. Come on. Every episode at least one time. <laughs> My next question will be, when you write worship songs, do you consciously think about and focus on like the congregational participation of the song? Because like you said earlier, they have to be singable. Yeah. So is that something that you focus on? Very much. But I think it starts with how does it sing in the room? I don't think ultimately we're thinking, you know, well, maybe some sessions we are thinking through that lens of, hey, will 40-year-old worship leader dude in Arkansas who doesn't have a big wall of production behind him be able to lead this? Sometimes sometimes it is good to peel all of the layers back and just think in those terms. But oftentimes when you're writing a song, I mean, you're you're singing in the room with whoever your co-writers are. And you can kind of get a pretty good sense of what it feels like. I mean, is it easy to sing? Are you the only one singing it? Or is everybody kind of like in on it, you know? I find that that some sessions, you can tell when the melodies are too complicated because people are forgetting them after like a half hour. But if they're ones that are coming back around the entire day and you're remembering it and, and it's sticking in your head, even after you go to lunch or coffee and come back, then that's that's a pretty good sign that it's going to be a memorable, easily singable tune. So I think we do think about that a lot. And and really that's the goal of a worship songwriter. Like I said earlier, that we want to be creating songs that are not just going to be listened to, but they're going to be sung along with in hopefully a massive corporate setting. So that's, that's always the goal. Sweet. Yeah. So one thing that, um, I'm trying to figure out right now is how do you get that first job? So like I'm actually on the production team at The Belonging. I've done that back in Ohio for a band in my town. Yeah. Where are you from in Ohio? I'm not from the South. I'm from up North by Toledo. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Matt Hammett. Matt Hammett territory. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) The Mud Hens. Exactly. I'm always going to be a Browns fan. Okay. Just put that out there. I actually (laughs) fell off the NFL bandwagon a while ago. And the only thing that I halfway follow is Ohio State football. So 
Yeah, I don't. I don't follow it too much. My little brother is a like he knows all the stats, everything. Like Jersey's huge Browns fan. I say it more of like if they win, which is very very rare, <laughs> I will always celebrate it, and I'll always be like they can do it next time. Fair fair weather fan. That's, right. that's that's about that's about as far as I go. But same with Ohio State. I, I love X's story of of breaking into the business. Maybe you can touch a little bit on that because what you're doing with helping on the production team is sort of a, ver- a form of, in- of internship. And yep. I always tell people if they don't have a place to start, start with an internship yep. because it's a great way to start building relationship. And that's ultimately what's going to get you your, yep. your first gig is, is a, is the right relationship. I, yeah, I totally agree. And I, I think to having talked to like, you know, students at internship fairs and, and everything like that, one one thing that a lot of students have is they're not sure exactly what they want to do, which an internship can be, you know, very good for, for testing the waters. But I think once you're once you're more serious about like getting a job, getting into that first industry like position, I think it's knowing what path you want to go down first. Like, okay, I definitely I love being with the worship team or whatever or supporting them. That's what I want to do. And then finding the immediate avenue into that, whether it's assisting or interning. Like for me, I knew I wanted to do engineering and production. So I sought out a studio gig and I became just an intern there doing remedial tasks, you know, like getting food, getting bagels thrown at me, you know. Answering were, you, were you getting bagels or were the bagels being just thrown at well, you? Well, I, I, I also picked up the bagels and then I made the mistake <laughs> of putting an onion bagel near someone who did not like onion bagels and it was thrown down the hallway at me. So what you're saying is as an intern, bring a helmet. Bring a helmet and never put stinky bagels near certain people. Yeah, it's it's so good. But, it's but True it, wisdom. <laughs> true, true wisdom right there. And if someone asks you to wash the bottom of their car, just say yes. <laughs> but... Uh, that all that aside, joking aside, I think it's the dedication and commitment, like knowing what you want to do and being very firm in it. Like I, I definitely encourage people to take internships and experiment with different things. But when you know what you want to do, dive in head first, dedicate everything you've got to it. Just if it's an internship, go dead into it and don't say no to anything. Even if you don't know how to do something, tell them you'll find out. Never say no. Never, ever say no, unless it's going to cause you like bodily harm or something like that. (laughs) But always go into it like giving and giving and giving because by giving, you're going to be receiving back and not even know. Like people want to be around people that can help them not feel like, what are they, what are they leeching off of me or whatever. So just go into it with just a servant mindset and just, just dedicate everything you've got into it. Every, every moment that you have for it. I know for me, I was like, seriously working 7 a.m. to like 4 a.m. because that's just like I was able to do that and that's just what I wanted to do and it led to just things developing really quick just having a positive mentality and being around for people to do not just tasks that were immediately related to what I wanted to do but willing to do anything to just help and to make things easier on other people and in turn you find people that are seeing your dedication and your will to be investing into what they're doing and they in turn start to show that same thing back towards you they start pouring knowledge into you and giving you opportunities to do things and really what he's talking about is how do you make yourself irreplaceable because what exactly. you want is at the end of the internship you want the person you're interning for to be freaking out because you're leaving if you're not at that place then it's probably time to you know figure figure yeah. out 
what what you can do or or, or change, make, uh, make a little pivot or something. But yeah. I think the people that we've hired out of internships are the ones that were like, oh crap, they're leaving in like yeah. a month or two. What are we going to do? Yeah, we can't <laughs> let this person go. Let's figure out. Yeah, yeah, let's figure out what it takes to make this continue. People, if they really want to work with you bad enough, they'll create a job. Yeah. It's you, you kind of it's. I love the saying that if there's no door, build one. Yeah, and we've pretty much everybody that we've worked with and that, that works with our companies now either started out as an intern or as a, as a part-time assistant and yep. um, ended up proving themselves to be irreplaceable. And, mm-hmm. and that can take some time to figure out, okay, what are your skill sets and what are the things that you're actually passionate about? Because you don't just want to be doing something that you hate. I mean, you obviously have to, have to love it and love being around it. Um, but find out how you can make yourself irreplaceable to the people that you're working for and with, and then you're going to have a job. No problem. Absolutely. So kind of a question to go along with that is like, I want to learn everything, Uh um, live, like stage production stuff. Um, you know, I love learning instruments. I want learning songwriting. I want to learn eventually how to produce and record and all that kind of stuff. But I also heard a couple years back like and I know it's it's obviously probably changed because the music industry changes so fast yeah. but like I, ca- I basically heard the saying of don't become an average jack of all trades hmm. like what's the balance between like I want to learn all of this kind of stuff because I'm genuinely interested but at the same time to focus on that couple of things to become a master at where's the balance between that and how do you find saying like what you're interested in when yeah. you're kind of interested in everything I think to to start with I think look at the most basic element of what you're interested in and start there. Because I I do think even though music is a creative field, it's a very fluid field. There's not like any static way to do absolutely everything. It's, It's still very much structured in a way to where moving upwards is the goal you know and i think for people just starting out it's if you want to do everything like specifically let's say that you want to do um production or or even if you wanted to do road production and lights in front of house i think the pathway for that is finding the very the very base the very core of whatever it is whether it's starting as a stage hand or whatever and being the best stage hand possible because the next step up is going into like whether it's being the front of house assistant or the monitor engineer assistant. And as you ascend, you're picking up these bits of information, but you're mastering the one craft in front of you at a time, if that, if that makes any kind of sense. Um, for me, working in a studio, when I started out being an intern, it started as simple as like, this is how you roll a mic cable. Because when we throw it like this, it needs to not make a knot. Over under. And yeah, exactly. Over under. And but it's literally so ingrained in you. And then if it's not done right, you will be told it's not done right. But then from there it's like, okay, we can trust this guy to roll mic cables. The next step is assembling Pro Tools rigs. And I mean that's a huge jump, but it's like, okay, this is at, at the time you had to build every Pro Tools rig you were using. So it's like, hey, this is how you pull the computer apart. The cards go here. You know, and then it was just every single step up, even if it was just a minute step, it was acquiring a new skill that then every day you would be using over and over and over. So I think to come back around to answer your question, I think find at the core of what you want to do, even if it if, even if it is as broad as like I want to know everything about producing and uh, shows and doing lights in front of house. I think it's starting at that the the lowest of the low spot, but the one that will ascend you 
in the direction you want to go. So starting as that stagehand or as like a, a rigging person or something, you know, something that's just at the root of it and then just building off the experience. And as you gain more trust, because people around you will see what you're doing and know that you're knowledgeable about what you're doing, they'll feed more into you and you'll work your way slowly up. If and that the, makes any sense. The thing I'll say about that is to not put too much pressure on yourself that you have to know exactly what your one thing is right at the beginning. Yep. Because nobody knows that. I mean, when I when I got into music, I thought I was going to be an artist. And in a, in a in a in a whirlwind of touring for 4 years and, you know, breaking down in vans and doing the planes, trains and automobiles, I figure out that that's actually not my path, but it led me to where I'm at now, which is as a producer, songwriter, and now owner of a record label and publishing company. And I never in a million years would have thought that that would have been my path. I thought I was the artist guy. So the moral of the story is just start trying stuff. Okay. I mean, start where you're at. You're already doing it. You're already helping on production team. What else can I do? Can I uh, do an internship with a with an artist who's touring on the road or mm-hmm. do merch for somebody? Or uh, you, you may discover that you're super good at something that not a lot of other people are good at. And you may also discover that the things that you thought you wanted to do, you're like, ah, that maybe wasn't what I thought it would be. And so I think it's just not putting any pressure on yourself that you have to have it figured out that you know exactly what your career path is going to look like. I, I definitely did not. And I, I could even still say today in 10 years, I mean, most people working in music don't even know what the future of the industry is going to look like in five to 10 years. It's so rapidly changing every day. So I think the big thing, if you can really focus on a one thing, it's just, okay, who's in front of me and how can I make myself absolutely irreplaceable to everyone that's in front of me exactly okay yeah so like when i write when i do like a song like when i write songs you know i have the bare basics of a guitar piano and then like a notebook paper and a pencil but like especially like listening to the podcast i've heard people talk about setting pro tools up for like when they go into a writing session so obviously there's a jump somewhere between kind of basically how i'm doing it as just with one instrument and a piece of paper to this whole rig, what does a writing session look for you using all of that kind of stuff? Yeah, so for me, it's actually a pretty important part of the process because what I found out about myself is that who I am and what I bring to a room or to a, to a co-write is the fact that I think like a producer and that I am... Uh, I'm good with logic and Pro Tools and I'm good at pulling up sounds that are inspiring quickly. And that's, I know a lot of people that try to be the producer or the track guy that it literally just takes them an hour to sit there pulling up a synth sound. And by that time, the room's all uninspired and momentum's stalled out. So again, I don't think everybody has to be that guy. I think you try it, you know, try it on your own and see, hey, is this something that I, that I like? I mean, am I good at logic? Am I good at Pro Tools? Can I get good at it? And if not, then really what everybody that I know who's in your situation, who doesn't necessarily run Pro Tools, they write with people that do. So it's really about finding the right key collaborative partnerships. So finding people in, in your network, I mean, start, start local, you know, start in your, in your college class, start with people that are more producer minded and just start writing with them. Because not only will you find that you'll accomplish a lot more 
you get to do so many more songs if you're if you're doing co-writes as opposed to just doing it by yourself. But you'll also leave with a pretty decent demo. And nowadays we talk about the importance of demos really sounding like masters yep. because that's what we're that's what us as songwriters that's what we're up against. We're not up against other other people's songwriting work tapes. We're up against stuff that sounds like it's ready to go to the radio. And that's that's a leap, but working towards that and partnering with people who do that is so important. You you brought up uh Mia Fields earlier. She's a great example of that. Uh when she first started coming to Nashville, I I don't remember if the first session or maybe the second session, she might have even brought a guitar to it or picked up one of my guitars and Eventually, she was like, ah, screw it. I suck at this. <laughs> and I'm not saying anything that she wouldn't say on the air either. So she writes pretty exclusively with somebody who knows how to run Pro Tools or Logic. And, and that's smart from her part because she knows that what her strength to bring to a room is the lyric and the melody and the idea. So partnering with people who have the musical and, and producer side is huge for her. So... I would say for you, that's that's a great place to start is just start finding those people that you can collaborate with who can kind of make up for some of those skill sets while you're learning Pro Tools or Logic, if that's something that you're even interested in. Yeah. I, I completely agree. And like he just kind of said at the end too, like just being around those people too, you can expand your own skill set and just watching how they work. And because that'll kind of give you a cheat sheet of like, okay, this does work for sure. Because I've now seen it work in several of our rights or whatever. So I completely agree. Collaboration is such a necessary thing or just a, a great way to expand not only relationships and networking, but just to also, you know, find people that are strong where you're not as strong and where you complement them in the same way. I think it's absolutely a great way to do things. Yeah. Well, this has been a ton of fun. Thanks for coming down to our studio. Join us on the Full Circle Music Show. Thanks we got, for having me. Yeah, we got Drew Langies. Langers, did Close I butcher enough. that? Yeah, really bad. Okay. <laughs> Hold on. You got to say it again because I say had it, it one at the more beginning time. and now I can't remember. Say it one more time. Langles. Drew Langles. Okay. Drew Langles. Drew Langles. Don't 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 worry. I get my name butchered all the time. It's I have my name yep. on all music credits as like Seth Mobley, Seth Morley, Moselli. <laughs> Having one letter really eliminates that. Yeah. Though someone thought my name was Eggs. Because they couldn't understand what I was saying. Uh, and they thought I had a tattoo of eggs on my arm, which here is not the, correct. Here and another the, guy thought it was Axe. <laughs> I was like, well, Axe is actually pretty sweet. but Here on the Full Circle Music Show with Seth Mosley and Eggs O'Connor. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Over easy, kids. Over easy. Just a reminder for everyone, we have 68 reviews currently and we still need 32 more. Just take a second now that the episode's over and let us know what you think about the show. We would love to hear from you. We'll be reading even more reviews that we've gotten next week, so make sure you tune in to see if yours is one of the reviews that makes it onto the air. Hi, this is Seth Mosley. And this is X O'Connor. And you've been listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. This has been a production of the Full Circle Music Company with editing help from Jericho Scroggins and Jordan Salamoni. Head over and follow us on Instagram at Full Circle Music Co., and we are going to be giving you updates on moving to our new studio. It's going to be some exciting things coming in the very near future. Absolutely. And we're also dealing with our contest right now for reviews on iTunes. So make sure you jump over to iTunes, leave us a review. As soon as we get to those 100 reviews during this month of May, we're going to be releasing those 12 videos that Seth and I made with tips for recording, production, and songwriting. That's right. So head over, leave us a review, and we will see you next week.